1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Our Heavenly Father, we do just thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather here together to be instructed by your holy and inspired word. Thank you uh, for this privilege. We pray that this time would uh, bring glory to your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, you may be asking yourself this morning, and I've had a couple people ask me this morning, are we ever going to get back to our study in the book of Acts? Uh, For three weeks now, we've seemingly gone off course talking about the death of an unbeliever, the death of a believer, and now we're reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Will we ever get back to the testimony of the early church? The answer is yes, Lord willing. Uh, None of us like deviating from a plan, but occasionally and from time to time, significant issues arise which must be addressed. This is one of those times. During the past two weeks, we discussed the topic of life after death. Uh, A major decision was made by the high courts in Canada, which has and will have significant impact on the brothers and sisters up north and will certainly have a ripple effect on all of us here in the States. In a letter from a pastor up there to Grace Church in Los Angeles, uh, an elder wrote, Bill C-4 passed through the House and the Senate without opposition. Not a single dissenting vote was cast by any member of the Conservative Party. It received royal assent on December 8th, which means it will come into law after January 8th, 2022, eight days ago. The bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. It will criminalize, among other things, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy and promoting or advertising conversion therapy. Now, an important distinction to make right off the bat, uh, Lakewood Bible Chapel does not ascribe to what has been called conversion therapy or reparative therapy. Uh, reparative therapy is a very specific, uh, specific psychological methodology intended to help those with what they would call same-sex attractions and an encouragement to do away with those desires and to become heterosexually inclined. This mes- methodology, again, is rooted in secular psychology and it is not something that biblical counselors practice. It's not something we would endorse. Having said that, Uh, The letter will go on to explain how this legal decision impacts both the church uh, here in Lakewood as well as the greater church and its leaders. In the preamble of the bill, it says that the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are, are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. 
According to Canadian law, as of January 8th, 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth. The language and definitions used in the letter are intentionally broad, and it can be clearly used against any preacher, any elder who either speaks against homosexuality or transgenderism, or who counsels a person to obey Christ and abandon their homosexual slash transgender actions and lifestyle. This means that as of January 8th, 2022, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. The bill states, everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Similarly, Everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years. Two years for advertising. Our Canadian brother closes his letter to Grace Church in saying that on January 16th, 2022, faithful men across this country, many in the United States as well, will be preaching on God's design for marriage and a biblical ethic of sexuality. We, meaning Canadians, uh, will be doing so illegally. Declaring to the state that there is one God and one Lord over his church. And that Christ alone gets to both define marriage and dictate what is required in the pulpit. We are honored that our American brothers will be joining us in this. So that's what we're doing this morning. At its core level, at its foundational level, what we have here is a matter of authority. Authority. When confronted with an itch- issue such as this, when we are threatened with jail time and other punishments for simply stating what we believe and what we know to be true, we must ask ourselves right from the get-go, who possesses ultimate authority in this world? Who has ultimate authority over these churches in Canada? Who has authority over the churches in the United States? Who has authority over this church right here in Lakewood, Colorado, this local body of believers? Who has authority over individuals? Who has ultimate authority over my life and your life and your children's life and your children's children's lives? As with many other prevalent issues of the day, this issue of sexual morality comes down to this question of authority and our subsequent submission to authority. And I believe what's happening to our Canadian brothers and sisters proves, uh, provides us here in the United States the opportunity to determine now, here and now, which authority is actually worth, worthy of our obedience. Which authority is, is, is worthy of our obedience and which authority is not. And the elders here at Lakewood Bible Chapel have agreed that in matters related to sexual morality, we want to declare from the housetops exactly whose authority we are under, both individually and collectively here as a local body of believers. To do that, I'd ask you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. (coughs) 
Genesis chapter 1, very familiar. Verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning on the first day. On the second day, he made the heavens. On the third day, he makes the seas, the water. Then he makes the land and vegetation. Then he makes the sun, the moon, the stars on the fourth day. Verse 16 says, and God made the two greater lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning the fourth day. On the fifth day, he creates living creatures, mammals, reptiles, birds, ocean life, insects. And then the sixth day, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31 says, And it was so. God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. I want you to look back up at that 16th verse with me. Excuse me. That 16th verse, the one where the text describes the Lord's creation of the expanse of the heavens, the very universe and galaxy in which we currently exist. The one where it says, and God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. I want us to use these two descriptors, okay? Greater and lesser. And I want to apply them to our discussion on or, uh, authority and who it is that possesses true and absolute authority. You see, it's true the these courts up in Canada, their House members and their Senate members, along with their governors who give royal assent, uh, ha have been granted some authority. Just like our three branches of government, the folks within the executive branch, the legislative branch, the judicial branch, uh, in this country have been given some authority to make uh, and, and hold people accountable to such sweeping mandates and, and regulations. They have been allotted some authority to govern over the affairs of man in hopes of maintaining a functional society. But I want to use these two descriptors here to explain to you in somewhat comprehensible terms the vast difference between the authority of man and the authority of God. And how, when it's all said and done, they're actually not even worthy of being compared. 
And just for a helpful illustration, let's consider the greater light and the lesser light, okay? As the sun differs from the moon, so is the chasm between the authority of an infinitely holy God and the authority of finite, flawed, and corrupted human beings. The greater light, the sun, accounts for 99.86% of the mass in the solar system. The other approximately 0.2% is everything else. All other planets, all other uh, moons combined with Jupiter and Saturn, just two planets combining to make up 90% of the remaining 0.2%. The, the Earth, by the way, makes up 0.0003% of our solar system's mass. And the Earth's moon, this lesser light, only makes up 1.2% of the Earth's mass. What this boils down to, and I'm no astronomer here, I'm just quoting somebody else's work. They did all the work here. Is, it, is that the mass of the greater light, the sun, is 27 million times more than the, the mass of the lesser light, the moon. Another way to put it, Jed, if the sun were hollow, you could fill it with around 64.3 million of the Earth's moons. Isn't that fascinating? So great is the chasm or the distance between God's authority and man's authority. Th that's really the best example that I could, I could think of that we could even begin to use as a, as a comparison. And yet, even that example is woefully inadequate and insufficient to describe the huge separation that exists between the two authorities, between God's authority and man's authority, especially when you consider what we just read. He spoke everything into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing, by the word of his power, which means he possesses all authority over all things. This is what Jesus meant when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? All. All authority. Again, the difference between the, the sun and the moon doesn't even begin to describe this vast gulf between God's authority and man's authority. But as weak of an illustration as it is, it's something that each and every one of us need to think about when determining whose authority is worth submitting our lives to. You understand what I'm saying? Let me give you another illustration here. Okay, the greater light, the, the sun, it produces light, right? And, and the lesser light, the moon, it just reflects the light that the sun produces. The moon isn't actually shining. It's just reflecting the light provided by the sun. So it is with the authority of God and the authority of man. God is the only one who actually possesses true authority. He's the very source of all authority, and therefore... He's the only one who has the ability to grant authority. He's the only one who has the authority to then supply his creatures with any authority. Uh, to, the, to these courts, to these prime ministers, these presidents, these senators and legislators in Canada and the United States. All, all the men and women who hold these positions of temporal authority had their authority granted to them by the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. The, the scriptures 
which is how the one who possesses true authority has chosen to reveal himself through his divine inspiration. The scriptures are clear. Even the temporal, brief, momentary authority that man has, even the short-lived, uh, short-lived power that this, these evil, wicked, ruling men and women experienced in this life was given them by God. Let me show you perhaps the greatest example of this reality. Turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. By the way, while you're turning there, we believe in an inspired Bible. We believe that it was authored by the Holy Spirit of God. We believe in its sufficiency, its clarity, its inerrancy, that in the original autographs, every word came from God himself. We believe it's absolutely authoritative because its source is the one who possesses absolute authority. John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, the Lord Jesus Christ, after having been beaten, mocked, spit upon, flogged, condemned to death by his own people, stands in the headquarters of Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor who, after examining Jesus himself, finds nothing worthy of deserving death. But the Jews were adamant. They wanted to see him die. Look at verse 8. The Jews said to Pilate, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then in verse 10, we read one of the most cringeworthy statements in all the Bible. Pilate says to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He said this to Jesus. Look what Jesus says in verse 11. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you by from above. In other words, human government receives and administers only the authority provided to them by, by an outside source, from an outside source. They are completely dependent upon the very God they hate for even a little bit of short-lived authority they've been given. Uh, think of that truth. Think of that reality when determining whose authority you will choose to be in subjection to. Now, while human gover government is a lesser authority, human government is an authority nonetheless. They do have authority, and because it's an authority granted them by God, in most cases, we should submit to them. Romans 13 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Christians are not called to be anarchists. We're not called to be zealots. We're not called to be agitators or, or troublemakers in society. We are called to submit, to obey, 
our governing authorities. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Peter says the same thing in his first epistle. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or king uh, as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. He goes on to say, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And he wrote this in a time when emperors weren't exactly bastions of human dignity or morality or human ethics, but I'm not sure if you noticed there, there are a couple of conditional phrases which may actually have massive implications and relevance for our discussion this morning. In Romans, Paul says, that the rulers appointed by God are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. He also says one of the purposes of human government and human authorities is to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. But that's not what we see happening up in Canada now, is it? That's not what we see happening here in the United States of America lately, is it? Do, do our elected officials, do they seem like God's servants for good? No, they hate God. What about Peter? He says, for the Lord's sake, submit to every human institution. The emperor, the, the, the governor sent by the emperor. Why? Well, because uh, ultimately they were appointed by God. They were instituted by God, granted authority by God to do what? to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. I ask again, is that what's happening up in Canada and down here in the United States of America? Answer, no. No. The opposite is happening. This modern culture, this uh, contemporary society, as have many societies in the past, this modern society has resolved to punish those who do good and to praise those who do evil. And when this happens, when this happens, we not only have the option, but an obligation to disobey them, to not submit to them, is our duty. We have a duty to defy the orders put forth by the lesser authority. Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were commanded by the religious authorities to not preach or teach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they replied, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And that's exactly what they did. When, when arrested again after healing and preaching the name of Jesus in the temple, the high priest rose up and told them, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. We strictly charged you, Canadian pastor, to not speak against homosexuality and transgenderism. 
We strictly charged you, Christian, not to counsel a person to obey the greater authority and abandon your sinful actions and lifestyles. But they have answered in Canada, and we likewise must be resolved to answer, we must obey God rather than man. Uh, Peter and the apostles, they submitted themselves to the greater authorities. A and here, God has provided an example for us to do the same when the lesser authority goes against his will and his commands. Uh, the Christian is to live in complete subjection or, or in subjection to or in obedience to every form of human government and, and every institution of social order, the, the meaning of a federal official, state, local officials, judges, police officers, unless, unless those officials try to force you to do what contradicts his will and his commandments as clearly defined in the scriptures. Then we do not submit. Which brings us to what's happened here in Canada and this bill that says as of January 8th, 2022, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. You know, similar legislation is being passed through the House and the Senate here in America. It's called the Equality Act. Essentially the same thing. And it's all an attempt to uh, protect what they would call progress. It's all being done in an attempt to protect and further accelerate the specifics of what is known as the sexual revolution or uh, the so-called time of uh, sexual liberation. Uh, but anyone who's actually paying attention knows that what we're witnessing is actually a devolution or a regression of societal standards. And the greatest advocates and proponents of this so-called liberation movement are those who seem to be the most miserable among us. Sadly, they're en enslaved to and controlled by, they're dominated by the lusts of their hearts, by the lusts of their eyes, the lusts of the flesh, lusts which can never truly be satisfied, which is why you see the level of debauchery growing and growing and growing, all in an attempt to out-degrade one another, it seems until we get to the point where it doesn't even seem real anymore. Like, this is not real. This cannot be real, what's taking place here. It's a, it's a great deception. It's a, it's a delusion. It's a lie. And it's a deception that has gone mainstream. Big government, big tech, big business, the sports and entertainment industries have gone fully on board with the LGBTQ movement and their agenda. Big corporations not only silencing and censoring anyone who might alert societies to the dangers uh, associated with these lifestyles, but also advertising and promoting these lifestyles, which lie in complete contradiction and direct contradiction to the will of the greater authority. Uh, perhaps the biggest tragedy biggest cultural shift has taken place within these past few years, okay, as children are now being specifically targeted by proponents of the LGBTQ movement. They're being uh, specifically targeted in schools, in governmental institutions, in public venues such as libraries who host drag queen story hour where they, quote, provide a range of fun and fabulous educational experiences for children and teens from three 
to 18 years old in libraries, in schools, museums, and community spaces. What do drag queens and children have in common? They love dressing up and all things sparkly and fancy. Unquote. From three to 18 years old. Three to 18 years old. That's the target audience. To hear a book read by a man dressed in women's clothing. That's their goal. And parents are just bringing them right in. Uh, but it's not like you have to gather in public spaces to observe such things. Nowhere is this agenda driving more evident than on social media, which our youth pretty much have access to all day, all night. And if you don't believe that there's an intentionality behind the targeting of our most vulnerable age group, then you haven't been paying attention. Last July, in honor of the conclusion of the Gay Pride Month, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus released on their official Twitter account a song titled, we're coming for your children. After intense backlash, they claimed it was parody, that it was tongue-in-cheek, and decided to make the video private. However, not everyone was outraged. Uh, many on social media defended the gay men's chorus, and many even defended the lyrics, which said this, We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit. Quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. And we're coming for them. We're coming for your children. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. So I gotta ask, who's doing the conversion therapy again? We're coming for your children. Again, the choir, this chorus, had many defenders, some prominent figures within society, politicians, entertainers, major influencers, lesser authorities. But as a result, many have followed their lead. Many have bent the knee and sacrificed their children to this delusion. Of course, this is all being pushed under the guise of gay rights, of LGBTQ plus rights, lesbian rights, transgender Rights, even recently, as alluded to in TED Talks from university professors and even a USA Today article just last week, soon to be introduced pedophiles' rights, or excuse me, the new uh, preferred term, minor attracted persons' rights. Again, I see some of these news articles, some of these, <laughs> these snippets of people identifying as members of the opposite sex, opposite gender, opposite species even. Most of the time, I, I can't believe my eyes that this is even happening. I, I saw a post the other day which pretty much sums up the current state of sexual morality amongst those in the secular realm. It said this, The greatest female Jeopardy champion of all time is a man. The top female college swimmer is a man. The first female four-star admiral, admiral in the public health service is a man. Men have dominated female high school track and female MMA circuit. The patriarchy wins in the end. <laughs> uh, the, the author of that tweet later appeared on popular cable news shows where he said, 
I just got suspended on Twitter because I pointed out that biological males are men. A and this, to me, is all a part of the game here. This is what the leftism is. If you criticize it, they're going to shut you down because they realize they cannot engage with you intellectually. You know why it seems like we're not living in reality at times? Because it's not reality. Uh, these people are playing dress up. They're undergoing testosterone and estrogen therapy. They're mutilating parts of their body in an attempt to keep story time going. And it's actually pitiable uh, to observe. It's very sad. This is something we should lament. It's not, it's not good. The reality is it's just a late, uh, the latest manifestation of a collection of totally depraved men and women thumbing their nose at God. It's the latest manifestation of a nation's collectively rejecting their creator. But sexual deviancy has been around for as long as men have been around. What we're experiencing today in this degradation of society and matters related to human uh, sexuality, sexual morality, has been around for millennia. It was true in the time of Noah, it was true in the time of uh, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah. It was true in the time of the judges, the kings, the prophets. In fact, this is just a repeat of what the psalmist said in the second psalm. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They don't want to hear anything about mor morality from the Lord and his anointed. They say, he will not be king over us. And, and in a mad desperation, they do all they can to break free from him, ultimately ignoring him, uh, trying to silence God. And in the process, they miss the message of how to, they can be truly free from their bondage. They reject his offer of true freedom, true liberty that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They reject the, the message of the gospel of grace and, and forgiveness, of newness of life, eternal life with him. This is the gospel the lesser authorities don't want us to preach. This was, it was true in our time. This was true in the psalmist's time. This has been true since the fall of man. And one constant was that there was always pronouncements of judgment upon those who participated. He has to give us the bad news before he can give us the good news, right? While the secular standards for sexual morality have typically been low and practically non-existent, the divine standards for sexual morality have always been high. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. None of the daughters of Israel shall be prostitutes to the men of the assembly. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. You shall not lie with an animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. The Lord also said, a woman shall not wear a man's garment. Nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. God has always sought to protect his people from the imminent dangers of sexual immorality. 
Then Jesus comes on the scene, and he takes it even further, right? He said, you heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. That's what Jesus said. God comes down to the earth which he created, and one of the first things that he says in his public ministry is, well, yeah, don't commit adultery. That's obvious. I mean, it's not a stretch to expect you to stay out of bed with someone who's not your wife. But I'm saying to you that even having a lustful thought about another woman, even just thinking about them in a lustful manner is an offense worthy of eternal punishment. Let alone another man. That would have been unthinkable to the Jews. But it wasn't unthinkable in the Roman Empire during that time, was it? One commentator said, quote, the sin of homosexuality had swept like a cancer through Greek life and from Greece invaded Rome. Fourteen out of the first 15 Roman emperors practiced this unnatural vice. At this very time, Nero was emperor. (coughs) He had taken a boy called Sporus and had him castrated then married him with a full marriage ceremony and took him home in a procession to his palace and lived with him as wife. This was first century Palestine. This was the environment where God in human form chose to make his appearance. Now again, the Jews, they viewed homosexuality as detestable, unthinkable. So when they challenged Jesus on the the issue of divine sexual morality, they didn't say anything about homosexuality. They knew that he would denounce that the very moment it was spoken. The very moment they asked the question. The, The religious leaders who hated Jesus attempted to trap him by asking him a question related to marriage and divorce. (coughs) The formal separation of a divine union instituted by God. Another phenomenal evil of our day, by the way. (coughs) an evil which in their society could be exercised for something as trivial as the wife overcooking or undercooking the meal. They came to Jesus in an attempt to trap him by either, either going against the command of God or the culturally accepted practice of the day. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote that you this commandment. And while Moses is certainly authoritative and his written commands were certainly inspired, I want you to notice what Jesus does next. This is a stunning example of what we should do when we are confronted with the pressures of a society which is sympathetic to that which lies in such clear contradiction to the will of of God and plan for his people. He takes them all the way back to what we read this morning. All the way back before Moses. Uh, He takes them all the way back to the original design for human life, the original design for marriage, the original institution of marriage, the original guidelines for procreation and multiplication, which only truly works if the original model is followed. Jesus takes them to the ultimate authority and the ultimate standard for sexual morality. He says, 
But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And he says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. <coughs> this is the standard set by the very one who spoke into existence, the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxy and all things that are and all things that will be into existence. This phrase here from the lips of Jesus Christ himself is the divine standard for sexuality throughout the history of the world. This is the standard. A and a deviation from these standards to the right or to the left is nothing more than a demonstration of an absolute rejection of God and his will. And they will be judged. They will be judged. So the greater authority, the one who created marriage, says marriage is between one man and one woman. The lesser authority says that's a myth. The greater authority says I created them, <coughs> male and female, only two sexes. The lesser authority says that's just a myth. The greater authority says a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to or cling to, be intertwined with, threaded together, become one flesh in a God-ordained union with his wife. The one who has been given all authority on heaven and on earth says what God has joined together, let no man separate. And the lesser authority says those are just myths. Don't listen to them. We make the rules here. The greater authority then warns of judgment, saying, because you have rejected me, I'm giving you up to dishonorable passions, to the lusts of your hearts, for their, whim, their women exchange natural relations uh, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The lesser authority says, that's a myth. We have liberated ourselves. In fact, we will judge you, God. The greater authority says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The lesser authority says, that's a myth. And if you teach on that, we're throwing you into prison. The greater authority says, you can find forgiveness of your transgressions. You can find forgiveness from your sin, no matter how heinous, no matter what you've done. The greater authority says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And the lesser authority says, don't believe that. It's a myth. Don't worry, we'll shut them up with legislation and, and threats of fines and incarceration. 
But we can't help but preach what we have seen and heard, can we? We can't help but share the truth in love with these enslaved men and women, primarily because of what Paul says in the very next verse, verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified, made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The greater authority says this is a gospel issue. See 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. You know my law. You know my law. You break my law. My law is written on your hearts. My law is written in my holy and inspired word, which my preachers proclaim. You know it. And you're going to have to face the punishment for, for breaking it. But I have also sent a, an entire people group, a whole body of believers who, who share my message of forgiveness. I have sent to people who have been forgiven for their transgressions. I've sent to people who have been clear, uh, cleansed of their sins. Not only their sexual sin, their sins of idolatry, their thefts, their murders, their lying. I've sent to uh, people who have been cleansed of their fornication. There's, there's a message of hope for the fornicators. A message of, of mercy and forgiveness for the drunkard. A message of grace and true love for the homosexual and the transgendered man or woman. I have, I have sent a people who have been set free from the bondage of sin. Those who have set free themselves, who no longer walk as condemned men and women, but and all because they've placed their trust in the only one who has ever kept my law perfectly. Uh, the Son of God who came into this world to die a sacrificial death for sinners just like you. But don't be deceived into the lies put forth by the lesser authority. Don't be deceived into thinking that your sin against the greater authority will not go unpunished. It must be this way. It has to be this way. He's a holy God. He, he's perfectly holy. He's perfectly holy and just and righteous. The greater authority says that there's good news for sinful men and women, that those who believe in the gospel of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and place their trust in him alone will for receive forgiveness for their sin and salvation of their souls for all of eternity. The greater authority says the sins of those who come to him by faith alone have already been punished and pardoned in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary where he willingly took the place of and bore the penalty of our sin, he became a curse for all who would believe in him and call upon his name. For all those who would repent and come to their creator by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the lesser authority says, that is a Don't listen to them. Lesser authority is saying to the church this morning, listen, Christian, we don't want you to tell people how they can be truly liberated. <coughs> we don't want you to tell people how they can be truly set free. We don't want you to tell people how they can enjoy true pleasure 
even in sex, as God originally intended it to be enjoyed, we don't want you to tell people how they can experience true relationship or true fellowship or true communion with other people and even with their creator. We don't want you to tell people this message because doing so would get in the way of us carrying out our life's mission, which is to rebel against and flat out reject the one who gave it to us. Both our authority and our life. So I ask you this morning, What is your response? What is the Christian response to this? We must obey God rather than man. Jesus is Lord, not the state. Jesus is the head of the church, not the state. Jesus dictates what's said in the pulpit, not the state. Jesus dictates what's spoken of out of his authoritative and inspired word, his scriptures, not the state. Jesus is king. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords, not the president, not the prime minister, not the governors, not the courts. We will not bend the knee to the lesser authority not when they are so active in deceiving men and women and contributing to the damnation of their everlasting souls. We won't do it. We will continue to preach the full counsel of God's word and we will continue to preach a full message of the gospel of God to all men. The gospel which says that he sent his son into the world to save sinners just like us. And we will do so because we know that he is worthy of their worship and their praise as well as he is ours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Canada this morning. Noel can come on up and lead us in musical worship. Our Heavenly Father, we again just give you praise for your holy and inspired word, for the gospel of God, which you have, by your amazing grace, allowed us to know and be saved by, be transformed by. We thank you for your spirit who dwells in us. We ask that we would always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us, that we would do so in a loving, caring manner, uh, but firm in our convictions, knowing that you are the greater authority. We pray for our brothers and sisters up in Canada. We pray for the men who will be proclaiming these truths today, and uh, if you will, Lord, uh, many more weeks ahead and years ahead, all for your glory, all by your grace all for your glory. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, if there's anyone struggling with this, this particular sin or these sins that we've discussed today, uh, I pray that you would do a mighty work by your grace, just as you've done for us. Uh, again, you are worthy of their praise as well as ours. We give it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.